0: of acts of the blood god and independent rpg podcast i am your host cat bailey joining me as always my lovely co-host nadia oxford
1: hello cat i gave up my place in the Endwalker queue to be here
0: well thank you very (laughs) much for that nadia also my equally lovely co-host eric van allen
2: i'm back i'm tanned from a from a nice little week out in florida i got a lot of sun while i was out there at the happiest place on earth and uh i'm back to talk about rpgs Welcome
3: back.
0: And who is our special guest?
3: Hello, my name's John Walker, and I am a games journalist of some sort.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We all are. Some sort. We have no no definitions. We're we're quite transparent.
0: Welcome to the show, John. We're having you on here because uh, you've written a time or two about 90s RPGs. You you know them pretty well, and we're talking about 90s RPGs.
1: This week we're
0: continuing the PC RPG quest, The Fall and Rise and fall, maybe, question mark, of RPGs on PC. We've got a lot of ground to cover on that front. And, of course, we'll also be talking about PlayStation reportedly working on its own Game Pass, the Game Awards Kerfuffle, Nadia's Nostalgia Nook, will be returning, and many other topics. First, some housekeeping if you enjoy the show. Thank you very much. Please leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore Nadia Nadia's at Nadia Oxford, Eric is at CMUSI, S-E-A, m-o-o-s-i and john where can we find you
3: um i'm at botherer on the twitters oh bother. i love
0: bother
1: bother bother <laughs> bother bother and you've also
0: uh been writing for kotaku a fair amount lately
3: yeah last year and a half i've been um their morning editor although it's my afternoon so it's very confusing
0: <laughs> uh, uh uk time zones right so we're recording on yeah. a saturday afternoon here in north america but it's kind of late at night for you so we appreciate you being able to come on the show
1: and you are you day. are a strong night hawk and we appreciate it <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes and of course we have a patreon patreon.com slash if you enjoy the show toss us some money toss a coin to your podcaster podcaster it's five bucks a month we'll get you access to a lot of great content as well as our wonderful discourse and we just recently did the Persona 5 Pantheon episode with Michael Hyam and Stephen Strom from Fanbite, And that was just an amazing conversation. We had a great time, didn't we, Nadia?
1: We did. That was uh, probably one of my favorites in a long time. But Persona 5 is one of those games where you don't have any shortage of things to say. That was probably one of our longest ones. I feel like we were at it for, Mm -hmm. what, like, was it three hours or at least two and a half?
0: It was was two and a half hours of pure discourse about Persona 5. (laughs) Nice. Just packed right up to the hilt. John, did you ever get around to playing Persona Five or is that not really your jam?
3: It's I'm afraid not. I've I have just great big gaping holes in my uh, gaming <laughs> knowledge. Coming from a I've come from a purely PC background for the last twenty five years. And so despite having had consoles, I have, yeah, some some big flaws in my in my Were knowledge. are you saying
0: that Japanese high school students fighting crime just not really
3: our uber- it's really, it's funny. I was, I was looking at some nineties RPGs just ahead of this, and everyone's list is just packed with Japanese games I would never played because I never had a console when I was a kid. <laughs> I certainly didn't have one in the nineties, and so yeah, I just, it's, it's awful. I need a whole other lifetime so I can go through and play all those games as well.
1: <laughs> you do. You need an alternate. You need, you need a uh, timeline B for yourself.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll be getting to that a little later in the episode, but let's start with our top headline. Uh, Late on Friday, Jason Schreier reported that PlayStation is working on its own version of the Game Pass. It's an update to PlayStation, plus it will be a three-tier service. The highest tier could include PS1, PS2, PS3, and PSP games. There's uh, some confusion about whether or not it's going to be primarily streamed. I don't think so. I think it's just going to have streaming options based on my reading of the article, but it's a little hazy. I'm curious, Eric, how excited or interested are you in Game Pass? And is it too little, too late?
2: I mean, the idea of a Game Pass for PlayStation is both exciting and makes a lot of sense, right? Because Game Pass has been pretty big for Xbox so far. It's been basically the number one seller for Microsoft this generation in terms of why you should in- engage with their stuff because even with halo right around the corner i keep hearing people say oh it's game pass i'll have it as part of game pass forza just came out i can play it on game pass it's all good but a I, we don't know a lot about this yet in terms of whether there's going to be those sorts of day one releases that really make game pass shine yeah. in that way and b this news coming right after nintendo kind of rolled out one more addition to its <laughs> n64 service really made me sit there and think oh right this could end up being that too where exactly it's something that you pay for and then find out that they're not going to update as often as you would like and granted ps plus has been up and down lately this also came alongside a pretty disappointing ps plus launch for the month so uh i think overall this is cool in concept and obviously PlayStation is not announcing this right now. This is just a report that that Schreier has from his sources. So it's not like this is how Sony's going, like, oh, here's this PS Plus game that's looking a little lackluster. And also we're gonna up the service. But uh it's some weird messaging right out the gate of like seeing all the ways that this could go bad and then hearing about the thing is already making me a little like. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm tepid. I'm interested, but tepid.
0: You gotta love having the the classic games at tier three. I know why they're doing it. They're like, Mm. yeah, look, you classic game nerds, you'll spend money on this stuff. We're gonna milk you for every little cent that we've got. And if the PlayStation Portable and the Vita, and to a lesser extent the PS3, are any example, we'll actually have a fairly tiny library, highly curated. I want to say you're not going to have the the huge dump of games that you might see on, say, Xbox. Though, you know, Xbox isn't that big either, ultimately. But uh, it might actually be on the level of Nintendo Switch Online in terms of the classic games that end up getting released. Uh, John, I'm curious, what is your take on Game Pass as primarily a PC guy?
3: I think, um, well, I've, I've I managed to get a Series S. In fact, Series S oh. has been available in the UK all the way through it's so strange you can always buy them from amazon (laughs) um series x is impossible to buy but yeah um and i got a series s at launch and just game and discovered how magical game Pass turns out to be (laughs) i I get this thing that readers think that every every one of us critics is a shill for game pass because oh you always say it's it's just actually good it's it's, it's quite hard to be cynical i mean you can you can clearly be cynical in terms of Um, you're not actually owning anything and they're quite cleverly forcing you into a tithe rather than ownership and yeah i I have i have plenty of cynicism for it but it really has made sony look so far behind and then with such a a disastrous first year for exclusives on on ps5 um it It just like returnal I have, I haven't played Returnal yet.
0: It's really dope. It's my game. I know, of the I, know I know, I
3: know. But um, I did play Ratchet and Clank though.
1: Mm. So. That was cute. That was a, a good was looking great. game. It
3: was, yeah, it was great. Um, it's, it, but you know, for a, a year, that's not. It's not been an impressive run. So it, it seems like it's absolutely necessary they do it. But then at the same time, I really don't want to add another subscription to my yeah. giant yeah. Mm-hmm. No. And then I don't want fight them fighting over them are you going to have microsoft and sony fighting to see who gets which game and now suddenly you know we're in that awful situation now where we used to just have netflix and now we have to buy all of netflix's rivals Uh
1: Uh god so it's so annoying and and yeah you're talking about adding another subscription i can't keep track of what i've got and then it's like i get another email from some subscription i thought i cancelled thanks for your monthly payment oh crap did i cancel the right one you have to set like alarms. I had to get Discovery <laughs> Plus for the Olympics.
3: And then I was like, I must set
1: an alarm so I don't keep paying for Discovery Plus or whatever that is. No, that's a good idea. I want to know if... Uh, see, I like the idea of having retro games streamable, of course I do. But can I play them on my PSP or do I have to play them on my TV? Because I'd rather play them on the PSP. And if you can let me do that and stream it to that portal system... <laughs> um. Sure, I'll I'll purchase like a PSV. Literally, sorry, the Vita, PS Vita isn't
2: even mentioned here. The Vita <laughs> sorry, is sorry. not even talked about in this Sony news like, report. What's a
1: Vita? I'm just being really optimistic and living in La La Land. <laughs> so that's my answer, I suppose. Nadia's fantasy, Nadia's great dream that will never come true.
2: That's one of the like quiet advantages of Game Pass, though, is that alongside having those catalogs of older games and newer games. They're also making it really available across xbox consoles pc and cloud i know people who have been playing old games just through xbox cloud gaming like on yeah. their phone or on their browser even and that's really rad that's cool from making it more accessible it's cool for making it easy to play it wherever you want to and not be tied to say a playstation 4 or playstation 5 that's hooked up to a tv and that's the sort of stuff that I look at and see like that's the value add here was the value add for Sony just seems to be we're going to dip into our back catalog minus the Vita.
1: Yeah, minus the Vita is right.
2: Yeah, you yeah, know, Vita Vita means death. I look forward. Oh,
4: <laughs> I look
0: forward to this being announced in spring and then being like, well, no in or Final Fantasy Tactics, two games that I had right. on the PlayStation three and Vita for ages. Great. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Chrono Cross on here oh wait no that's not on here either I don't know maybe I'm being too cynical maybe John Ryan has turned his to changed his tune and is
1: now loves retro games at this point and isn't just he was the one who said that right like nobody plays yeah. old games like just just spit on me you believe well.
2: in generations
3: <laughs> he's never gonna let live that one down
1: Statement I hope that not. He's, never
2: come back to he's gonna
1: play. be
3: horrified when he finds out about uh emulation <laughs> <laughs>
0: And meanwhile, I think that the reason the Xbox Game Pass is so successful, I mean, look at Forza Horizon. What a what a value. That game came out day one in Game Pass. If, unless PlayStation is willing to allow, say, I don't know, Horizon Forbidden West, which it will never do to come out or, day one. Can you imagine on its...
1: Final Fantasy Remake Part 2 on their oh Game Pass? Oh my gosh. Day one? Yeah. No, exactly. They're
0: not going to do that. Xbox?
1: No. They're trying to build an audience, so they're just like YOLO exactly. with this kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah uh playstation right now does not need to do that xbox they had a whole generation where they really kind of dropped the ball so they're trying to re- to repair their uh their you know their base and of course they have more money than god so they can take their time doing it sony is a little more um as you say i can see them offering some games day one but i can't see them saying hey take final fantasy remake part two for free because that's a lot of lost money
2: That's the thing with Xbox is that it's Microsoft and Microsoft is Windows. So even when you're playing it on a PC, you're probably playing it through Windows and you had to buy Windows from Microsoft. So like they are still getting their money somewhere in, in the ecosystem, but it's easier for them to get their money elsewhere in the ecosystem and spend some money on giving some games away, whereas Sony doesn't always have that luxury.
0: Yeah. Well, let's just let me get Persona 3 Fest on my PlayStation 5 so I can play through it again someday. All right, continuing onward, the Game Awards is coming out next week. And we were going to have a prediction segment be like, what's going to be happening in the Game Awards? But then Jeff Keighley did an interview with the Washington Post and really embarrassed himself by saying, <laughs> uh, addressing yes. the Activision Blizzard controversy, and where Nintendo, Sony, and Xbox and other plate people have come out and said, directly condemned what is happening at Activision Blizzard, especially after that extremely damning Wall Street Journal uh advertisement jeff keely said we want to support employees and developers said keely who added he supported people coming forward with their stories but also didn't want to diminish developers opportunities to spotlight their games We have to think very carefully about how to proceed here definitely declined to call out activision blizzard Uh, various people on twitter pointed out that uh, an an activision executive is actually on the board of advisors Mm -hmm. for the game Awards. Jeff Keighley, like quickly scrambling to do damage control, saying, no, 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 no Activision Blizzard over at the Game Awards promise. It's fine. Then he did a big (laughs) Twitter thread and said the Game Awards is a time of celebration for this industry, the biggest form of entertainment in the world. There is no place for abuse, harassment or predatory
1: practices in any company. But a lot of people are saying too little, too late. Don't look behind the curtain. It's okay. Just look. uh, No Activision. Uh, Don't don't look over there.
2: It's that community meme of like, I can excuse rampant allegations of harassment, but I draw the line and not letting my best friend come to my awards show. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, I
0: sleep meme.
2: Yeah, it it is. It's that. And like, I, I think as, as some people have said, you know, there's a lot to be said about how this award show gets made, because it's not just that there's an Activision person on the board. There's plenty of other people on the board from companies that have also had problems in the past or currently. yeah. So like uh, there, there are issues there and you know, it's, it's up to us to be conscious of that stuff in, in the media side, I think moving forward, probably be some discussions and stuff, but uh, it's, it's also an aspect of you got to walk, walk the walk, talk the talk. And all I'm saying is, those those mics are open at the awards show when you get up there for your awards. If you want to say anything, Joseph Ferris, you know, I'm talking to you specifically.
1: <laughs> that mic's hot. <laughs> Something more than fuck the Oscars or whatever it was that year. Yeah.
0: Jeff Keeley. all he had to say, I they set it up. He had air cover. Xbox and Sony and Nintendo were all basically on the record saying that what's happening at Activision Blizzard is ridiculous. All Jeff Keighley had to say was, what is happening at Activision Blizzard is absolutely terrible. And we fully support everybody uh, who is uh, all the victims of harassment at Activision Blizzard. And we hope that the game awards can be a p- celebration of what's positive and good. And by the way, Activision Blizzard won't be at the game awards. That's all you had to say. That's all you had to say. You didn't even have, you could condemn them in like the most lukewarm terms and like, wow, what a, what a PR cell well, he, he
1: is the Doritos Pope. So <laughs> Dorito's pumpkin, gonna Dorito, uh,
3: John. I'm I'm curious what your perspective is on on this. I think I th- it doesn't nothing. I have I've just heard this story. I didn't I didn't catch this one. Um, it doesn't surprise me at all because this is game awards are this, and you don't have to acknowledge them. You don't have to participate in them. Um, I'm at, I used to go to the the GDC awards every year. The, you know the GDC and IGFs, and just live tweet how hateful it was from the audience. Until I found out how you get into the VIP section at the front, and then I would just be too distracted by making jokes um, (laughs) with with others. Um, They are their the whole conceit is is negative, and it's not this idea that we're celebrating. We're not celebrating anything. We're just handing out trophies and but the wrong people are always handing the trophies to the wrong to sometimes to the right people i i just i've never watched the, the game awards i never intend to watch the game awards if you want to catch all those trailers great you, you know, they're on youtube almost straight away you we can all ignore it the whole industry can just flat out ignore it and then it will go away
1: <laughs> like bears going through your trash it'll just go away <laughs>
3: But seriously, if they just it it's it requires our attention and if we don't give it any then it doesn't mean I think mean even anything. like calling
1: it awards is almost it can be insulting at times because you like, hey, let's um it's literally here's an award for RPG music, like or just music in general. A very important thing in video games. Let's list off the nominees. Oh, here's the winner. Thanks. Oh, here's a trailer. Like it's very, very not there's nothing awarded. It's really disrespectful. It. It's extremely uh, disrespectful. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: One of my biggest issues with it is I was talking about this the other day, uh, even before all the Jeff Keighley stuff started up. And I was saying it's really weird how you look at the Oscars and every year they bring out the previous year's winners for stuff like Best Actor, Best Actress to hand the awards out to the new year. And I think I even though you know, let's cordon that off because the Oscars have their own set of problems. But um, I like that as a concept because it's like a recognition of someone's contribution that they did a lot. Now they're passing the award on to someone else. It's a cool little thing that would be really cool if we did that in the industry, because then, you know, we'd have Studio Zom who won for Disco Elysium going up to hand out best RPG, best story, that sort of thing. It would be this cool recognition of not just someone winning in a year, but the impact that they made on the industry yada, yada yada instead we're like let's put christopher nolan up there because christopher nolan likes video games batman's in fortnite baby let's go <laughs> where's my 400 bucks yeah
0: this is the soapbox i get on every single year journalists help pick the games that and the the creators and everybody who are actually highlighted during the show and stuff like content creator of the year is just a flat out humiliating embarrassing category uh, all respect to the uh, the hardworking streamers and everything who are being thrown into this category. But there are so many amazing content creators, like I think about Chris Pratt every year, who's doing just phenomenal reporting over on YouTube. And he never, ever gets highlighted as one of the best because he doesn't have, you know, 2 million subscribers on Twitch. You can't even get freaking content creators on YouTube barely into this category. It shows how wrongheaded the nomination process is to be the start. but. John, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that it isn't an awards show. This is a giant commercial. It's all very commercialized and it is kind of an embarrassment to the games industry to pretend that this is an awards thing or a celebration.
3: I have to tell you, there is a, there was a thing in the UK a while back called the Games Media Awards. And this is where it was awards that were given out to games journalists and critics. And it was oh voted for by PR people. Oh no! Oh for, my god! This is for real. This ran for years. I would campaign against it every year. Uh, Rock Paper Shotgun, which was a site that I co-created, we won a whole bunch of them. <laughs> I was very, very angry about <laughs> this. How oh, dare you? <laughs> yeah, but it was. It was genuinely like, oh my god, it's just so embarrassing. We won one of these ghastly things.
0: Are they still going? Is that still a thing? No.
3: It it, it. it. Thankfully, it eventually did die. Um, it was amazing. Like one year, there was the thing where you could. They announced that the. People who are present, if you tweet out with this particular hashtag, you can win a PlayStation. Uh. Games journalists <laughs> tweeting adverts. Oh my God.
0: That was when so, the yeah. Dorito Pope thing started because uh, that was being called out in an op ed in Eurogamer. And they're like, look at Jeff Keighley with the with the Doritos and everything. Yeah.
1: And <laughs> people started the photoshopping. Sure did. Oh.
0: Uh, what a time. But it, I think if video games want to get better like we should take ourselves more seriously that's all i have to say and jeff come on
1: jeez this is pr 101 jeez yeah i mean i think he's from toronto please stop embarrassing us (laughs) we got enough problems all right now it's time to
0: move on to our next segment and this is eric van allen's here's the thing so eric what's the thing today
2: so here's the thing i went to disney world for a week what Uh, nice so that that's why I was not here. And the reason why I bring it up on a video game podcast is, do y'all know they gamified Disney world? <laughs> they-
0: yeah, it's called the, uh, the, the, passes.
2: So I, we, we go on this trip and we, we had signed up for this genie plus sort of situation. And, About five minutes into this trip, I realized that the thing I'm trying to explain to my family is essentially trying to explain to them how destiny quests work, because (laughs) it's all this stuff about, well, see, we got to wake up at seven in the morning so we can secure our lightning lane. The first the first of two lightning lanes we have, we have two a day and you can only apply them to individual rides. So You can't lightning lane the same ride twice in a single day. It's got to be here. It's got to be at the park we're at. Unless we want to park hop later, we can park hop at 2 p.m. So we could Lightning Lane one later in the day and park hop to get to it. Now, there's also a la carte Lightning Lane, which is not part of the Genie Pass <laughs>
4: subscription <laughs> where you God. pay
2: individual amounts of money to get on high demand rides like Rise of the Resistance or Remy's Ratatouille ride. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, oh my God, they turned this into destiny. <laughs> like, it's, and it was kind of haunting the whole week because, yes, you know, I, I had not been to Disney World for I think it's been 14, 15 years was the last time I went. And this was a big family reunion sort of thing. We hadn't seen each other in over a year. It was really good to see everyone again. Uh, and it was, you know, happiest place on the earth. Yada, yada. I bought in. I'm wearing a shirt right now.
0: Oh, you're a Disney um, person now. You're no, one of I, them.
2: I, so there was a channel in in the, the resort we were staying at had a channel called Japan TV and I put it on because I was really excited because I thought it was going to be Japanese language versions of, of Disney movies That'd and I was awesome. like that sounds like fun but we put it on it's basically VH1 for Disney songs so like Ew. here comes I'll make a man out of you here comes Under the Sea and it's all kind of like rolling through like VH1 and I realized how many Disney movies I haven't seen in the last like decade because I was like, what is this? And my brother was like, I think that's from Frozen 2. And I was like, oh, right. They made a sequel to Frozen. I forgot. Sure did.
1: That. I sure saw that in theaters. <laughs> oh, my, my Disney background a little bit spotty because I was in high school through the Disney Renaissance. So mm-hmm. or or middle school, like both it kind of went on. But yeah, I once that dropped off. Because my friends and I used to every year, like we'd finish school and we go catch the latest Disney movie because usually came out around the same time. And then I think around Tarzan, we said, you know what? I think we're done with this tradition. Wow. <laughs> I mean, no offense to Tarzan, except Phil Collins, but I just uh, it, it's just uh, f- fine. We're like, okay, well, this isn't Hunchback of Notre Dame, that's for sure, <laughs> which has its own problems, but it's pretty incredible in other ways. What resort did you stay in?
2: Uh, it was the French Quarter. So uh it was kind of like on the river, which is nice because we could yeah, take like yeah. a little riverboat to Disney Springs, which is like the shopping slash eating area uh that's kind of in the middle of all the resorts and stuff. So that was cool.
1: The only place, the only time I've been to Disney was for one up when I previewed Epic Mickey too, uh, believe it or not. <laughs> and that was with Warren Spector. And what a strange dude. Like he got us on all the rides like first in mm-hmm. line because we were just really VIPs that day. And that's my first time at Disney. And I'm just like. Walking around, I've never been to an amusement park like this in my life. I was thinking, oh, it'd be like Canada's Wonderland, time you know, a little bigger. No, it's its own universe, its own like gravitational pull, and it's just like, yeah. What if a nuclear bomb went off here? That would be like such an oh incredible God. scenario. <laughs> where, like... I love that. That's the
0: thing that you're thinking. It's like, what if they
1: this uh, this place got what nuked? If,
2: what if the zombie apocalypse just broke out here? You know perfect. what I'm saying?
1: Like <laughs> It's amazing at Disney, like. It's so something about the place is so fascinatingly artificial, like the dead lizard control. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I was playing, I was staying at the Grand Floridian, which is a really, really nice resort. Mm-hmm. And everyone there has a certain face they put on for you, as to be expected. And the thing I love about Florida is there's little lizards running around everywhere. You don't get anything like that up here ever. So, of course, unfortunately, sometimes they get run over by golf carts driven by the staff. And oh, yeah, yeah. When that happens, The lizard's just gone. You turn your back, it's gone. Someone's out there doing dead lizard patrol. And I find Mm -hmm. that fascinating. Disney is fascinating. And I'd like to go back and kind of like do a study on it. Uh, Please resume, Eric. I'm sorry for interrupting you. So
2: that's the other thing I was going to go into actually was that. So a lot of my time on the last day I was there was in the like Hollywood Studios which is largely like Star Wars land right it's it's where they built that new Galaxy's Edge place yeah. it's where they have all the new Star Wars rides and the stuff they're doing with those rides a really incredible like some of the coolest technology i've seen in a long 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 time uh but b is like video gamey in the way they present it so This is like ride spoilers. If that's a thing for you, maybe like jump forward. Now it's a thing apparently. (laughs) That's a a thing. I've learned that's a thing in my research going to Disney.
1: I'm not surprised.
2: But like, so Rise of the Resistance is a ride that you get on and you do the whole pre-ride show and all that where they kind of tell you what's going on and they're like, you're going to go do this. And they have all the characters talking to you. If you've been to any like theme park, you've got an idea of what I'm talking about. And then they walk you out into this area and you see an X-wing and you get on a transport ship and they do this whole pre-roll thing where you're getting attacked in the transport ship and the tractor beam takes you in. And now you're on Star Destroyer and there's this like legion of stormtroopers who are arresting you and you're being taken to interrogation. And I'm like, this is built like a video game quest the way they're kind of leading you point A to B to C. And they're kind of pulling you in in different ways, but then keeping you segmented with different groups and stuff like that. It's it's really amazing. And then you go to Smuggler's Run, which is the other Star Wars ride. It's literally a video game. They split you up into two pilots, two gunners, two engineers, and you sit at seats within the Falcon and basically play a video game where people at the front are like driving the ship. And then people in the middle are shooting TIE fighters down and the engineers, at the back are like flipping switches and keeping the shit from blowing up and shooting harpoons out to grab cargo. And it's amazing. It's incredible. I had a mom and a four-year-old as our pilots. <laughs> <laughs> and, and let me tell you, the Falcon hit every meteorite between here and Alderaan. <laughs> like we, That's a lot of meteorites. Uh,
0: all died on the way to their home planet. <laughs> it,
2: my, my brother and I were in the back as the engineers. And I, I was telling, so it was my brother, my dad, and I w- went on this ride. And it was the the mom, the small child, and their like, teenage daughter. That was the other three on the ride. And I was telling my dad afterwards, I was like, I really wish they had, asked at the beginning like does somebody want to volunteer to be pilot because yeah. it, it was basically the this is fine meme of the dog just sitting there in the house like <laughs> my brother and I in the back just hitting every button because we're just smacking into everything and we're trying to keep the falcon from blowing up and we're like please score. steer please steer doesn't
1: your mom drive like a minivan or something like
2: yeah, it's so the mom was trying to steer, but the way the the game works is that one stick is up and down, and the other stick ah. that the other pilot has is left and right. And she had up and down, left and right was the kid, and the kid was not even touching the controls. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Twitch <laughs> plays Pokemon. Was literally too small. Like she would have had to full like reach for the controls. And so I'm sitting there. I'm like, they really didn't just say like, hey, maybe the kid shouldn't be the pilot. But okay, <laughs> just <laughs> so, push the button when it says push the button. That's what I'm saying. You've got this big old hyperdrive thing that you get to do at the beginning where they're like, okay, everybody get ready for a hyperdrive jump. And then the big thing lights up. It's got a big old lever that you can push just like in the movies. And and the kid's just sitting there looking at it. And I'm in the back like, push the lever. <laughs> you get this opportunity. You came to Florida. And you
1: don't push the lever. <laughs> that sounds like the worst, best thing ever.
2: So, yeah, it was it was a wonderful trip. And like I said, the ride technology is something else. They have these like trainless carts now that are basically like giant air hockey pucks that you sit in and they don't have to be on a track and they don't have to be like connected at all. So they can zip everywhere and stuff like that. They do amazing things with screens and holograms like the technology. I It's amazing. You I'm really overdue
1: up, but... for a revisit because I did not have any of that when I was there. That's how much the world has changed in like such a small space.
2: Yeah. yeah, video games eking their way into the Disney World experience, both in terms of the actual theme park experience and in terms of getting onto the rides. Because we had to pay like fifteen dollars a person to Lightning Lane, Rise of the Resistance, microtransactions,
1: <laughs> and like, yeah, just what we all wanted. It's really great. it was it was paid a paid a ride, baby.
2: Like that's Ridiculous. that's how
0: wow. it was. They're gonna milk you for every cent. John, what's your take on mid-maxing Disneyland? <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> so when i was a kid um we didn't have much, my parents didn't have much money when i was little and one time i remember there were these this talk about going to 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 florida to go to disneyland and it was um and it was so, i was so excited and then it never happened it was too expensive oh, oh. Was the closest i ever got to going
1: my parents um, went to disneyland without our kid without their kids and uh that was certainly a thing <laughs> they did
3: <laughs> I went to Universal Studios once, man. That's a, a treat.
1: It was I a weird Eric. place.
3: It was like being in a Scooby Doo episode.
1: Oh, I think I'd um, kill myself. I hate Scooby Doo. It was
3: all these rundown rides, and like we went on the Back to, Fe- Back to the Future ride, and it had these CRT <laughs> monitors with these huge, deep domes, and it was, like weird, everything was so ancient and broken. It was. It's kind of cool. But yeah, I imagine it's updated since it, then. I hope, but that's as close as I got. I can't
2: believe I can't. I, believe I'm going to go full
0: Karen and say <laughs> that uh, Disneyland is proof that millennials were a mistake because uh, Disneyland has just been fully taken over by min-maxing uh, 30, 40 something millennials who are just like. I uh, think
1: millennials would be a st- mistake. We're forty. Some of I'm us gonna are win. forty. I'm going to win Disneyland here.
2: That you're talking about the the Disney millennials, the Disney adults.
1: <laughs> yep. Shout
0: out to my pals, uh, Bob and Henry, who are definitely Disney millennials. They go down all the
1: time. <laughs> I did not know that about them. That's adorable.
0: <laughs> it is. It's very cute. And I have no beef with millennials who enjoy the park. I, I had a great time when I went to the Star Wars experience in uh, 2019. Got my picture taken next to the Millennium Falcon. Saw Chewie wandering around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was lovely. So I'd love to all go right. back. Me too someday if this pandemic ever ends
2: we'll- the new blood god special <laughs> the I blood agree. god goes to Disney <laughs> <laughs> very
1: special <laughs> hey, episode
0: we got some money uh, saved up maybe we should just uh, I'll do it do this special Disney episode <laughs> Time for our main discussion yes it's the PC RPG quest 1990s we did the 70s we did the 80s we've covered a lot of ground now we're gonna talk about the 90s which was an interesting time for PC gaming in general PC RPGs it was a time of transition CD ROMs were coming in to the in vogue you're we all obsessed with FMV games at this time Atari exited the PC business, Commodore went bust, Mac was irrelevant, Pentium was on all of our minds, and at this time, PC RPGs changed radically. In the early 90s, it was much more in the vein of the 80s, where you had you know Wizardry 6 and Ultima 7, and by the late 90s, Black Isle Studios and BioWare were very much in vogue for RPGs. We were playing Fallout, we were playing Daggerfall and pretty soon Morrowind. So John, I brought you on here. What are your memories of playing PC RPGs in the 1990s?
3: So my my dad was a huge games player um he got a a, a a zx81 in 1981 and and got hooked on text adventures and so we in the 80s i grew up i learned to read with text adventures like a, some sort of pathetic um superhero backstory uh, <laughs> and uh um, and then in the 90s, we diverged. So he as as the as the genre split in half, I went down and click adventures and he went down role playing games. Oh, and so I had him. this sort of strange tangential relationship with the genre for the for the longest time, but would sit and annoy him by sitting next to him and watch him play like Betrayal at for Dozens and dozens of hours. And and then eventually it was with it was when BioWare got involved that I kind of swung back in again and 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 because it's I was always after the story. That's the thing I cared mm, about right. the most. I understand. Um and then of course so it would be Planescape was my was mm. the moment I was like, right, this is this is the genre for me. <laughs> so it's kind of right at the tail end that it became a big deal for me. But I did I watched my dad play so many, so many RPGs in the nineties.
0: And what was it? Did were you drawn by the story watching your dad play RPGs, or was it just kind of a, a why? Why weren't you playing them so much yourself? Was it just kind of a, a young thing?
3: I think maybe. So um, I'm 44 now, so mm. I was yeah, So I was 16 in 93. Um, so that was Day of the Tentacle, Sam and Max, and next was the next year. That 93 best year for video games. There's no argument there. Um, and I won't. I won't. I will not countenance any <laughs> 93
0: why why, why 93. is 93 because of day of the tentacle and so
3: day of the tentacle doom um just honestly google it it's incredible SimCity 2000 yeah. it's incredible the number of games that came out in 93 um and so it, it was swing <laughs> absolutely um and it, it was i think maybe they would like a bit too hard Ultima was so hard um, and I think I just didn't have either the patience or the skill to really be able to play them and it's it's I, I try and I've recently got back and tried to play some of the Ultima games and oh maybe it wasn't me uh, maybe they were just <laughs> really really frustrating to play um, but then Ultima Underworld 2 Ultima Underworld and Ultima Underworld 2 were absolutely pivotal games for me so, so yeah so it, it sort of went doesn't dally had a dalliance with the genre on and off all the way through But watching dad play was always so much fun because he was really good at them um and then we <laughs> were sort of like team that. up <laughs> yeah he's um and like games like betrayal at Crondall, which was he like lo- he was a huge fan of raymond Feist, who was a terrible author <laughs> dad, <laughs> dad loved him um and uh yeah, it was, it was just a really fun sort of just experience. to so watch him do all those grid-based battles that were totally over my head, but then I would mm-hmm. be all in like solving the chest puzzles and um, encouraging him to go and chat to everyone and that sort of thing.
0: If there's anything that I've kind of learned doing the PC RPG quest, it's that PC RPGs were so far ahead of what we are kind of see as revolutionary on console now. Like in the Ultima games, we had characters who were just going about their business like the we were talking about how amazing the Radiant system was in oblivion in the mid 2000s and it's like well ultimate six was doing that stuff in 1990 (laughs) what are you kidding me it's ridiculous like the the pure ambition and then a game like wizardry 7 that was an open world game ultima 7 had a ridiculous amount of freedom in the early '90s, uh, it's mind-blowing to me uh, how much uh, how ambitious developers were with the technology at this time.
3: I think it's, and I found it really strange. I remember getting a copy on PC of, of Final Fantasy 7, I think I'd never played a yeah. Final mm-hmm. Fantasy mm-hmm. game, mm-hmm. and I installed this thing, and I couldn't understand it. And I know it's like the, the most cliche thing to say, but I was walking along this this one street, and then suddenly I was having a fight in some grass, and I had no background <laughs> for this. <laughs> that sounds there right. was not. There was no preparation. And, and I realize now, of course, as I look back, it's like, oh, yeah, because people grew up playing these, these really crucial games yeah. on Nintendo and mm-hmm. they reached this point and it made a lot of sense. But to come in from the PC side of things, it was just impenetrable and bizarre.
1: That's the funniest thing. I think that for North America, like the 90s were very much a time of transition for us. It's not like houses were without computers, but it was very like. A lot of the computers you had in that day, like when families were getting into computers, were kind of really several steps behind what was really good for playing video games. Like my family around that time had a 486 with no Sound Blaster or or Sound Blaster card or anything like that. So I could play some games, but not a whole bunch. Definitely not much in the way of RPGs. Played a lot of Blackthorn, uh, which is Mm. a a great game. But there's also a a strange matter that I'm thinking of where... uh, Kat, you said like Mac was, I don't know, irrelevant, or I forgot the word. It sure
0: was. I mean, we had Macs in our school, but they were underpowered. They were not great for games. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. They weren't great for games. I'm thinking, okay, in Toronto, at least, maybe even most of Canada, for some reason, we were brought up with Mac, uh, entirely Macintosh, Mac Plus, Mac, everything. And of course, as you said, that had very little in the way of really cool games, except for, I don't know, we had copies of SimCity that didn't work, but- it uh, could be a big reason why I just didn't grow up with with PC hmm. games very much. It's just the distribution was not quite there. The hardware was not quite there for the average family. A lot of kids were le- were learning on on Macs, which weren't really great gaming platforms. It's just, just uh, obvious
0: yeah. It's still, yeah, I mean, in the early nineties, people, a lot of people I knew in the early nineties were buying PCs. There were three thousand dollars for a brand exactly. new uh-huh. PC,
4: uh-huh. and yeah. a brand
0: new PC, you would buy, you know, a penny on one hundred
1: thirty three. The next year it would be irre- It would be op- It would be old. Have you seen mm-hmm. those those memes with like the old Pentium towers and it has the sticker on it that says "This computer will never be obsolete"? <laughs> That's beautiful. It's just amazing. Oh my art. gosh! Yeah, ridiculous. When
3: I was sixteen, I worked in a video game store, um, and it was in a side. It was a sort of a inside a department store, um, and there was a section that sold video games. It was its own separate company, and I would have the Saturday job, and they sold PCs. Um, and I would just sell, I was 16, so you know, have to forgive me, but I would sell these families. There were 2000 pounds, which was about $3,000 back then. These, these machines, I would just get a copy of Encarta and I would put it in the CD tray and I would say, what is your kid doing at school at the moment? And they'd always be either they'd be studying Romans or Saxons, fair enough. all children study. At
4: schools. <laughs>
3: and I'd type that in and then see maps and videos and animated this. And they're like, Oh, I have to get this Encarta and I'll have a PC to go with it. <laughs> ah, good sounds um, And like. it's just awful knowing like uh, the the crap that they were they were buying
1: multimedia baby really mm, nice yeah. this is the watchword the more stickers it had in the 90s the better
3: <laughs> but i remember that we had the pentium 133 and the um i remember upgrading it we, we put it up to eight megabytes of ram and oh now that's megabytes
0: power. of ram wow you anything
3: no, you. Well, I do not need more <laughs> and then playing ultra ronda 2 that was my first pc game and, and <laughs> what an entry to the genre i mean to the to the world
4: i played a lot of
0: real-time strategy games in the mid-90s and flight sims pc rpgs mostly flew over my head at the time because maybe it was just my age group so the 80s as we have discussed very much dominated by turn-based tactics flight sims strategy uh pc games and pc games really fit into strategy games for the most part when the pc audience was just older because the pcs were very much a hobbyist market Uh, they cost a lot of money to acquire so the games were geared toward the kind of people who would be playing these in the 90s technology is improving right and so you can have much more viable action games and maybe a watershed moment is the release of ultima underworld a game that's like fully 3d and apparently uh apparently influenced Wolfenstein 3D they played Ultima Underworld and were like wow uh, we should uh we should make our own 3D game which became uh, a different game i forget what its name i think it's Catacombs or something like that and then it became Wolfenstein 3D and then of course that led to Doom and John you were saying 93 was the best year of all time i mean Doom Doom changed everything mm-hmm. right
4: uh-huh.
0: now everything had to be a shootem up RPGs uh-huh. became well, RPGs need to be more action-oriented. They need to keep up with the rise of Command & Conquer. They need to keep up with the rise of Doom and everything. And you started to see it with absolute nonsense, like Ultima 8, <laughs>
1: which was not a good game and practically killed the series. Ouch. Right. I think we've talked about Ultima 8 before, haven't we? Yeah,
0: a little yeah. bit. A little bit.
2: That's the cool thing about playing PC games at this age, though, because this is finally we've reached a generation where I was playing video games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... um Growing up here, like I've, I've told the story before that my dad was huge into Quake uh, and, and huge into Command and Conquer and stuff like that. And so there was so much that was happening, so much that was being innovated in the space. And then other companies were trying to keep up, you know, when Dune came out and suddenly the idea of a real time strategy game, as we'd only seen in like Herzog's way before it is now suddenly like a thing that everybody wants to create, everybody wants to make, and other companies are looking at it. And I do think there is something to what you said, Cat, about how the owner the ownership base of PCs was skewing older. So when RPGs started to come up with new stories near the end of this um, this decade, it wasn't you know the kind of fairy tale stories that we have in Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest. It was Fallout, it was uh, Baldur's Gate, it was Planescape Torment, and I didn't get into this era of games until later because I would later meet a girl who told me that she was very into Neverwinter nights, uh, which a should have wow. told me that she was way out of my league. <laughs> 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 um, I was like, Oh, I should check this stuff out. You know, I'll impress her. I was playing and I was like, man, this is really dark and depressing. <laughs> <This> is, <laughs> I was so used to Medal of honor and so used to like, you know, playing unreal tournament and stuff like that. But going into this, there was this whole wealth of storytelling and, and stuff that was burgeoning. And I feel like we're still going back to nowadays, you look at Disco Elysium and you can't deny how much influence of the late nineties PC RPG is in that sort of thing. So it's, it's an era that is, as Nadia said, it was a huge transition from one school of RPG thought to another. And one that's like really persisted through the years is this is where PC RPGs is kind of, became big became fallout became uh baldur's gate and planescape the things that we still hold up really high
0: but before that happened the genre had to almost go extinct go ahead john i was just about to say the same thing yeah like it
3: it was it had to go fallow for the longest Mm -hmm. time to be able to come back and um i wonder where it would have been with the tech in the mid 90s that sort of Mm. if like I can imagine a world where you know, obviously, because Ultima Underworlds they were made by what who would eventually become Looking Glass, um, and of course, then you've got you know the the, the greatest game ever made, Thief, and <laughs> um, and Deus Ex, and obviously all that sort of stuff. So they went, they, they, it pulled them in a different direction. I'm really interested in what the mid to like those mid '90s could have looked like if they'd gone the other way, mm-hmm. if they pulled that sort of first person into much more role playing direction. It would have been it could it doesn't i don't think it needed to be Is what i was saying i think it could have well, been what they did it was an called incredible daggerfall time. yes <laughs> yeah. it's just the yeah. tech yeah. wasn't
0: where daggerfall in so many ways was you know your it was a 3d version of your 80s rpgs like it was very ambitious in that way but the tech wasn't quite there to realize what they wanted to do years later it would be kind of better realized with morrowind in the 2000s right and then of course you could have you could have a whole discussion about what skyrim did to the job oh but, yeah
3: <laughs> oh boy
0: <laughs> but uh I, I think Daggerfall is your answer john
3: no no i think you're absolutely right but isn't it weird that it was it's the one like Betrayal of crondo was 93 as well mm-hmm. which wasn't a great game but it was a really interesting role-playing game and it showed another and the, and you know there was still those Sort of the remnants of the SSI games that were still around, those Eye of the Beholders type things. Yeah, yeah. So it of kept going. A Might and Magic as well was that sort of plugging Wilson. away. Jason Wilson's babies.
0: <laughs> I think about how basically the mid '90s, like 1995, was the equivalent of the the giant meteor coming down and wiping out all the dinosaurs, and that EA and that meteor had a giant brand that said EA. On it because EA <laughs> came down and bought Origin and just murdered the hell out of Ultima. But even before that, Richard Garriott was so salty about Ultima Underworld because Ultima Underworld was outselling Ultima 7. It was totally upstaging Ultima 7, the big numbered game in the series. And that probably kind of presaged what was going to be happening to the genre another harbinger of what was happening to the genre was a little game called diablo a game that was a love right. letter to roguelikes in many ways from the the 1980s by david brevik and various other folks uh and it was going to be a term-based dungeon crawler and blizzard said make it real time and they're like no don't no we're not gonna make it real time you kidding me <laughs> they made it real time and here we are today. By the way, Activision, what's happening at Activision Blizzard is absolutely terrible, oh. etc. So, uh, yeah, Diablo, watershed game that came out in the in the mid-90s and frankly kind of changed everything. John, did, are you a Diablo guy or not?
3: So I played a bunch of Diablo 2, but never, I never, I, I think I didn't play what people think of as properly. So <laughs> I just liked, I played, I'm just blanking on the name. What's the one that's set in uh, all the mytholo- mythological, Titan, Titan? Something. what was it called oh my brain is just blanked on one of the most famous games that one anyway so i sort of played diablo 2 like i played that just as a sort of string of like a very single player story based
1: yeah game. that's that's how i played diablo 3 when i finally played it i really had a great yeah. time it was on the titan oh, yeah. quest
3: that was the
2: one titan quest there we titan, go titan, titan quest. quest oh my yes. god that's... and then
0: they would work on the torchlight games mm-hmm. yes one of the titan quest people By the way, sorry if I came off as too glib about the Activision Blizzard stuff. Obviously, it's really important. And so we saw a lot of games that were quite famous at this time. Ultima 9 was the end of the series. Uh, King's Quest died. Quest for Glory died. And in their place, we started to see games like, as we already mentioned, Neverwinter Nights, Baldur's Gate, Fallout, uh, Diablo. This was kind of a new era, Black Isle Studios. And, you know, we talk a lot about how Game development has no room for error now, especially big budget games. And that was becoming very apparent on the PC in the 90s. Once again, the PC was a forerunner for a lot of what would be happening in the next decade or two over in the console space. So places like Sierra Online, you know, suddenly they couldn't afford to have a game go bust on them. Because the, the stakes were so high. The development teams were so big. The costs of doing these FMVs, having these voice actors, were becoming absolutely prohibitive. And meanwhile, the PC market, while it was growing, it wasn't growing enough in many ways. And the core PC gamer,
1: they were playing StarCraft. They were playing Doom and games like that. But It cost a lot of money to have Tim Curry sit up there and say, Space! Which I understand. That's, that's very valuable art. It's, it's priceless.
0: Now, you're a big Star Control 2 person. So, yes. this is where I'm going to just kind of clear the decks and allow you to talk about Star Control 2 for a minute.
1: I mean, what the heck can you say about it at this point? Except, well, it's um, so we sad have to, to talk say. We've talked about this. it
0: enough on this show. We should do a console really, RPG quest, or
1: sorry, a uh, Pantheon on it. We really should. Um, really sad to say, but it was Toys for Bob, which has been absorbed into the horrible bosom of Activision and is probably going to be crapped out like. Ravensoft just was. Uh, uh, The point is, there is a free version of Star Control 2 that you can play. It's upgraded. It's everything. It's actually the version that came on the 3DO of all the systems. It's called Urquan Masters because of um, copyright issues. Think of it as the precursor to Mass Effect because, yes, it has been admitted several times that this was a game that inspired Mass Effect. It's absolutely huge. It's one of those games where you think the villain is the villain, but no, the villain is actually protecting you from the real villain. And it's one of those really cool twists. It's a game, maybe the game that taught me the reality of PC RPGs, i.e. if you have a time limit, you probably have a time limit that is actually real because I'm used to like, say, going back to Final Fantasy VII. Oh, no, a meteor's falling. It's going to come in seven days. What the hell is a day in Final Fantasy VII? It doesn't exist. You can take as long as you want. So I'm taking my time through um, Star Control 2 and I realized, oh, the really, really bad people are... Uh, Kind of bouncing around the map according to this radar and wiping out civilizations and oh, apparently I had a time limit on this Uh, time to restart. (laughs) So that was the game that taught me a very, very valuable lesson. But it was a great game to have around 2004 is when I played it because again, it was free. Uh, It just added all the voice acting, all the new stuff. And the voice acting is incredible. The writing is incredible. And it kind of came to me at a time when I didn't have a lot of money for a game. So having this enormous RPG to download and play with was, you know, it was it was a big comfort to me because I was going through a pretty bad time during my life. It's a great game. It's a shame what happened to Toys for Bob, but all things die.
0: And John, you're a big Planescape Torment guy. This is oh my 1999. Gosh, I, I want to say yeah. a lot of people put this at the very top. Of the RPG list, we named it our number two RPG of all time. John, like as a Planescape Torment guy, I'm just, mm-hmm. what about this game? Still, kind of speaks to
3: you today. I think it was the the beginning is really amazing. I think that's a, a, an mm-hmm. important way to, it starts. Really memorable. And it, yeah. 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 Really and it, it makes it makes it very clear that you're no one and you're not special. And I think that's really. Like, okay, you've got this stuff tattooed on your back, but it's also just the world despises you and you're not walking into places and everyone's going, oh my gosh, my hero, please can you help me solve my problems with my husband? <laughs> At a time when video games were trying to be mature as in immature, mm-hmm, this was a really mm-hmm. grown-up game made for grown-ups. And it had characters that were, for the first time, and as I I, I confessed to you in private, and I will admit it in public, I, I never played Baldur's Gate Um and so this was my first experience of just incredibly well-written characters whom I formed relationships with and cared about and actually mattered after the game was done. Um, I would say for me, Knights of the Odd Republic pips it but in that, in that respect. But um, yeah, I wanted to know what your number one game was. it Chrono Trigger by any chance? The, <laughs> yes, it RPG was.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Be basic was around easy... here. <laughs> Be basic, but hard to argue against, really.
0: Uh, just a different flavor, right? I mean, RPGs yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> come in different flavors. Uh, Chrono Trigger was an amazing game because it was so tightly packed.
1: Exactly. It, it was
0: the apex of the JRPG kind of form. Uh, the, the story that it was told, it was grand, and yet it offered a significant amount of freedom. Planescape Torment was the apex of the PC RPG as we knew it at that time. It had some of the most sophi- sophisticated and dark storytelling that the the medium had seen kind of up to that point the um the choices that you could make were constantly really interesting and one of the things that really stood out about was how it put so much more of a premium on making choices than it did on combat combat was much less of an important thing i think with planescape torment and i think today some of the best RPGs are the ones that also put more of a premium on choice. I, I think that choices, interesting choices in a moment to moment basis, are what separate RPGs more than story or combat these
3: days. I think so. I think it's it's really interesting how Yeah, storytelling. It was it was the domain of the point and click adventure in the nineties. You had um obviously what Telltale and LucasArts Telltale, um uh, LucasArts and Sierra were both doing, it was really their domain at that point and and then they sort of lost their way. Those games what well, they those games desperately wanted needed to be 3D and couldn't be, and that was all a shame. Um, and then yeah, almost as they were like they passed the baton on to the RPG, I guess it's like we want to tell big, elaborate, beautiful stories. Um, But we want to tell stories in a way that how you experience it will change based on how you behave. Right. Um, And I think that's the key. I think that's the the really big key. I think that's what's misunderstood about that era of games is this idea now. This game has 300 endings. It's like, who cares? Because that means you don't know how to end your story. This game had one ending. But how you got there, how you behaved on the journey is what made a difference um and it was about how how do you experience a narrative rather than what how do you change the narrative i guess and i think yeah. that's what that that era of games really understood
2: yeah like fallout 1 falls into a similar school for me and and is really interesting to see how that series has developed over the years as it eventually went from being a pc rpg to being honestly these days a console rpg that's also on pc because you look at Fallout One, and that has an entire end section where you can beat the final boss by just winning a debate against him, and yeah, and debate. not having to do any combat or anything, and it's all just: have you learned knowledge? Have you learned about the world? Are you able to like rationalize to this person why their worldview is is not going to hold up in the long term? Is not going to do. And you're not even trying to convince them that they're wrong necessarily, just that they can't achieve what they think they're setting out to achieve. Uh, contrast that with Fallout Four, where it's like speech check, <laughs> 70, you know, is your number high enough? And I this this was an era where storytelling in RPGs was really just uh, swinging for some stuff. And again, Certainly Baldur's you know,
0: Gate Two, which a lot yeah. of people could, I mean, obviously you're a Mass Effect guy. Mm-hmm. uh eric but so much of kotor and mass effect was taking what was already established in Baldur's gate 2 and streamlining it you know for mm-hmm. a mainstream audience and please look forward to our console rpg quest of the 2000s as we discuss that as
2: yes <laughs> yeah I mean, that's been the fun of going back to these games now that i'm older and have played their streamlined versions as i'm seeing what the originals are like planescape torment is really really high on my backlog right now because i I want to to see what they were like before they started to cross over the lines and, and go from being these PC RPGs to being a different experience because it, it was a different experience back then. You know, you sit down at your PC and you play a story versus we need to make sure the, the console players know what their numbers do and how the numbers work and stuff. So it's It's just a cool era of development. I think the fact that we see so many games like Baldur's Gate 3 and Disco Elysium and all of them still trying to capture some of that really speaks to how long lasting the late 90s PC RPG legacy is.
0: When I think of the 90s, I think of three things. I think of uh, the fact that computers in the early 90s started at like 386.16. That was the computer that I had in the early 90s and then by the late 90s we had graphics cards we were up to like the pentium 500 or maybe even Mm -hmm. a bit higher yeah the exponential increase in power Mm -hmm. was just absurd back in the 90s certainly compared to now where the guts of my current pc i got in 2014 you
1: know and it still
0: runs practically everything it's doesn't run, you know, cyberpunk, but that game is its own kind of beast. So (laughs) the exponential leap in power and developers just trying frantically to keep up um, often unsuccessfully. Also, a whole generation of developers who were raised on Neuromancer and Snow Crash trying to turn that into a computer game uh, form. And then just uh, the giant, giant shakeout um, as we went from the 80s into the 90s. And it really sets the stage for the modern games industry in so many ways. Modding culture became a thing. Bugs became a thing. Every game was horrendously buggy. That's why I had to laugh in the 2000s when people were going, "Oh, this game's so buggy and it needs a patch." And I'm like, I've been playing PC games since the mid 90s. That that was how it was. They would you it'd be missing features out of the box like multiplayer. It was just a thing. Uh, John. Am I missing anything in terms of
3: what defined the '90s? Real time, I oh, guess. I, I think maybe the other, the other thing that springs to mind is that it was also a really golden era for PC because mm. consoles weren't competing against it. And right. Not you look directly. At the turn, no. Yeah, and when you look at the turn of the century, and then you start to see all the there was a lot of noise, not a lot of facts, but when. Everyone suddenly wanted, needed to make the game for Xbox 360 as well as PC. And then you had like Deus Ex Invisible War and everyone's, oh, the areas are so tiny. And uh, all this stuff, the, the, there was no question that the PC was always a generation ahead of the consoles. Um, and then they, then they started getting the PC versions would get held back or limited in some way. So at the end of the 90s, that wasn't an issue at all. PC, the consoles were so far behind in terms of tech. The PC was just its own space. There was no question. No, there wasn't going to be a Planescape Torment, uh, PlayStation release. Uh, Super Nintendo. Mm
0: -hmm. They're trying to put Command and Conquer on the PlayStation (laughs) One, for as good as that
3: uh, did them. Starcraft
0: on Star on the N64 for some reason.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But I think, but it did. it, It gave a lot more creative license it meant they weren't worrying they weren't thinking hang on how are we going to be limited how are we going to yeah, yeah. yeah. This? yeah and I think that gave it a lot of freedom too
0: any final thoughts as we leave behind the 90s oh, we'll talk more with uh, about the Japanese side of the 90s for PC games in the next segment but any final thoughts before we move on
1: the 90s sure had a lot of neon it sure <laughs> did didn't it <laughs> It was. It was a time. The nineties were an interesting time to be alive. It's probably the most prominent year I remember. And to be honest, it's like uh, going through those those shifts through the technology that you mentioned, Kat, kind of marked a lot of my growing up and, and formative years. Because of course, I got on the internet in nineteen ninety five. It's been downhill since then. Mm-hmm. So it was a. Uh, uh, it was. We all changed. Like we all went through puberty in the nineties. Every single one. Of us. <laughs> every one <of> us. <laughs> yeah, we were on the.
0: I, I certainly was on the internet the 90s and that was a time being on IRC in 1997
1: oh oh, all those bad Sonic the hedgehog fan fictions
3: comp 96 for me <laughs> uh.
1: discovering the redwall mud uh
0: on oh. on the internet and being just having your mind blown speaking of redwall Nadia it's time for the nadia's nostalgia nook i'm not saying that it's about redwall but i just think of you when i think of that so-
1: I should do a nostalgia nook on Redwall sometime. I don't know how it tied into video games, but I'm sure I'd find a way. We, no, we this don't time even
4: have
0: to.
1: Let's just talk about it. No, it's fine.
0: What's your nostalgia nook for this week?
1: Uh, I was thinking about the time that I basically, I could have stolen a cart for Dragon Warrior three, and I did. Monster r re- I regret that to this day. Here's how it went down. You wanted uh, to steal the cart? Well, I could have. That's the thing. Like it, it was a very gray area.
2: You should have stolen the cart. I'm just going to tell you <laughs> <right> now. <laughs>
1: For some reason, like, Canada, maybe the entirety of Canada, I know for sure Toronto didn't have chain um, rental places, game rental places, for a very, very long time. Blockbuster just wasn't a thing. So we rented all our, our, our Nintendo games from a place called, I swear to God, Independent Video. And they'd give you, like, a Nintendo game for a week for five bucks. Now, that's a pretty good steal. And, of course, when you have a good steal like that, it means the store's not going to stay in business for long. So one week, I rented Dragon Warrior 3. I come back, and the store is closed. It's it's done. And there was, like, a little Tupperware or something that said, please put your games here. Or it was return them to the, the variety store next door or something like that. It was the honor system. And I'm, like, absolutely obsessed with Dragon Warrior 3. It's still one of my favorite games of all time. I'm like, ma. <laughs> <laughs> can I Can I keep the game? No, of course you can't keep the game. So I put the game back to my my great regret. And to this day, I, I'm i sorry I didn't keep that cartridge. I'm sorry I didn't keep that horribly tattered copied book that they had because, you know, they wouldn't give you the actual instruction booklets. And Dragon Warriors 3 instruction booklet was 80 pages. So someone sat there and, and photocopied every every page of that 80-page 80, 80 booklet. So I had to give that back. And actually, uh, sometime later, uh, my dad like would would sometimes go to my grandfather's synagogue and one day he saw the owner of the shop and i'm like did you ask him what happened to his shop because that was a great shop he's like no i don't like i don't want to make this man start crying in the middle of synagogue so (laughs) 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 i never found out what happened to the shop never found out what happened to that convenient to that to that um cartridge for all i know the the person who owned the convenience store i returned it just kept it i would have so that was my nostalgia nook i did the right thing and i absolutely should not have
2: no, nope, you, you should have saved it. <laughs> yeah, not only did you put the game back, but you didn't take the giant Tupperware container filled with video games that was just sitting <laughs>
1: out. <laughs> oh, it's a very Canadian return, I suppose. How much?
0: Uh, how much money would that Tupperware be worth these days? I want to know.
1: <laughs> he had a lot of rarer games that you would not mm. see easily in, in chain stores. Like he would have the Dragon Quests two and three and four, and he would have the the rpgs that people usually didn't rent out that easily so he he had a good selection and it was he couldn't beat the price
2: and you could have stolen it all <laughs> the greatest heist of canada history
1: <laughs> dragon warrior 3 on its own is is worth a pretty good you know little chunk of change and in a in a box with the with the uh, you know the manual it's several hundred dollars easily
0: well that was nadia's nostalgia nook and now it's time for a series of random encounters First one is Paper Mario is now on Nintendo Switch Online. It's the one N64 game that Nintendo has put on the I was expansion watching, my, pass. My husband
1: was watching a YouTuber complain about Nintendo doing this and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, you bought it. I said to I said to Kat <laughs> when this thing came out, Kat asked me, are you going to buy Nintendo Switch Online's upgrade? And I said, you know what? If they give me games that I want on the service, absolutely. But they have not proven themselves. Nintendo online mm-hmm. catalogs have always been terrible. If they want to reverse their their stupid decisions, sure, I'll buy it. Until then, no, I'm not. I'm not buying. I'm not putting the money in. Why? Stupid.
2: They got your money already. That's that's the end of it. Like, don't you have to buy it like year, like the full year up front?
1: You do, but I didn't pay for the upgrade. I just had have basic. Right, that, that's what I'm online. saying.
2: Is like everybody you upgraded, they already got the full year from you, and now you just oh, get yeah. to sit there waiting for one more game in the next two months. <laughs>
1: like- <laughs> two months? I'd give them six months. <laughs>
3: I don't, what I don't get is that they must know that their only competition is piracy. Yes. Right? Like <laughs> all of their entire back catalogue, their whole back catalogue comes pre-installed on any number of like 50 buck devices you could buy from Amazon mm-hmm. and and totally legally too. That's the crazy thing. They're legal to buy. And so what,
1: what do they think they're gaining by drip? selling this stuff i don't know nintendo is so nintendo it's their best <laughs> and worst trait. they're the ones who come up with the they're the only ones i find in the game industry who have real surprises still they're the ones who can make you sit through a nintendo direct and say wow I never even saw that coming where everyone else is like oh well this was leaked two weeks ago <laughs> so they have their good and they have their bad but when they have their bad i'm not going to reward them for it <laughs> I'm the same, I've got the basic package, and then I thought, no, there's no way yeah. am I
3: spending that yeah. much money
4: no, to get no. an
3: Animal Crossing DLC I will not get around to playing, and and a handful of, of games I've already got installed on my Ammonick, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah, it would be nice if they just at least had a roadmap, so that yeah. mm-hmm. we didn't suddenly go, well, Paper Mario dropped at 5pm on a Thursday, uh, okay. <laughs>
4: I guess
2: I'm
1: writing this story up. Who's staying late today? Zero
2: fanfare, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it just appears out of nowhere. Like, Mm -hmm. give us an idea of what to expect, and maybe people will be a little more.
1: Yeah, like, even some transparency would be welcome from that, but they don't give you that much. Nintendo doesn't do transparency. Are you kidding me? Absolutely not. No, not a million years. The Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and
0: Shining Pearl had a ton of duplication glitches. No longer, and fans are mad. Well, at least a few, because they were just duplicating shinies like absolutely crazy. I'll cop to having used duplication glitches long ago, back in the everyone days. Everyone did for
1: Red and Blue, like everyone. Of course, did yeah.
0: I would duplicate. Uh, I would duplicate my shiny uh, Mew, and then I would trade it to get new stuff. So I'd be like, whatever. No, I'm gonna keep my my shiny here, but you you can have the duplicated version.
1: It's there fine. was a a comic that really emphasized what went what it was like to play Red and Blue in the '90s. Someone was like duplicating the rare candies, and so in the first panel, they're feeding Pikachu a whole bunch of rare candies, and it's going up and up in level. The last panel, you just see Pikachu, a humongous just like blob, like dead. And Professor Oak is saying to Ash, "He had a fucking heart attack."
0: <laughs> oh, leveling up your Pokemon with rare candies is a bad idea because it is. It's, it's you... uh,
1: yeah, not right. It's um, you don't get quite as much power, do you? No, you still get gonna the, nutrition. Beat the
2: game. It's level 100 Pikachu. You think that thing's not wiping the Elite Four? I don't care there about. There was indexing. nothing more
1: boring than being a 90s kid and having two people with two Mewtwo's like face off against each other, level mm-hmm. 100. It was just, you know what? Okay, it's a draw. I'm done with this. Final
0: Fantasy 14 Endwalker is out, and nobody yes. can access it because of the server con- congestion.
1: No, no, you can access it just fine. You just got to wait in a queue for a while. A long queue. It's a, it can be a long queue when morning. I first started because yeah. um, I of course was there like practically minute one to to give it a try. I got in very easily, no problems at all. Now the queues are in the thousands, and that oh can take God. up to an hour. And the good thing though is once you're in, you are in. Like I have not had any problems with um, kicking or or buffering or anything like that. It's it's very very stable, so it's worth the wait. You just go make several sandwiches. And finally, Kingdom of Amalur:
0: Re: reckoning actually got DLC. It's called Fate Swarm. It has new storyline, location, quests, dungeons, equipment, enemies, even a new mechanic, new soundtrack by Grant Kirkhope. It's out December fourteenth, twenty uh, December fourteenth on all platforms except for the Switch, in which it'll be coming out in twenty twenty two. And the only reason I'm highlighting it, frankly, I, I don't think Kingdoms of Amalur holds up. It's a uh, it's a weird RPG that was very much of its time but the fact that there's this huge expansion coming out for this remake of a decade old game it's just really notable to me it's it's a strange moment in
1: rpg history i feel it is definitely one of those okay well sure this may as well happen moments sure
0: this may as well happen
3: the Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning.
0: Uh, That's it. I discovered
3: that game after it came out and didn't do so well. And then mm-hmm. I played it and I just loved it. I adored really? it. And oh, I, so, yeah, okay, I,
0: you're a big, you are a fan. What? Tell me. No, Tell but me here's, the,
3: here's the weird thing, right? So I played it and I bled it dry. I played every bit of that game. I wrote about it on, on a rock paper shotgun and said, oh my goodness, why aren't we all so excited about this game? I love it. And then when the Re-Reckoning came out, I went, oh, brilliant. And it's like, oh my God, I'm <laughs> in <ain't laughs> playing this whatsoever. Oh dear. So I don't know what happened there. And the idea of trying to get back into it enough to play the DLC now, so late after the fact, seems weird. I love that they did it, though. I mean, it's amazing. Mm. No, it's cool. It's cool. It's almost yeah. as
0: if Nintendo were to come up with an entire expansion for Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shiny Pearl. They will never do that. <laughs> never happening, sadly. But Kingdom of Amalur, a game that strangely aged quite poorly for a game that was pretty well received back in the day in any case let's talk about what we're playing john you're our special guest what are you playing right now
3: um so i just uh just be- i'm playing a game called arch Fail that just came out on game pass um and i'm really enjoying that what is um, it um it's like a cross between um a fairly standard top down rpg Zelda-y rpg and bullet hell twin stick shooter up and um it works really well although i have i think i might just be hitting my limit which is very <laughs> early in the game but uh there's only so much uh hand-to-eye coordination i'm capable of and uh, um but it, i'm really i'm really loving it's a it's been really fun up until this point i'm hoping if i can, i just need to figure out that i've gone in the wrong direction and, and then up improve my defenses and so on but yeah i'm really enjoying that and i've just played um a game called project warlock which came out in 2018 And it was a um, sort of tribute to um, Hexen.
4: Oh, Um,
0: Hexen!
3: And really, really. Speaking of the nineties, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I I played this. I played the demo of the sequel that's coming out next year, and it's stunning. Absolutely stunning. It's on on Steam, and it's a really good demo. Um, And I thought, oh gosh, I never played the original. I went back to it, and yeah, just I I have a uh, a website called Buried Treasure, which I may as well plug on your podcast. Yes, please do. Which is about. the idea is i'm trying to cover tiny indie games that the press won't write about because for the time it would take to cover it you'd never get the clicks for it to be worthwhile and then these these amazing games get completely ignored so i'm trying to write about those on this little patreon supported site and um yeah so i I played it for that and it's i'm only halfway through it's enormous and it has that proper um like Hexen heretic feel to it and uh, but it's with much more modern sensibilities in terms of it's two point five D. It's really, you know, it is really old school. It's in five chapters, made up of multiple levers each, and um, and every new chapter has a whole new set of enemies, so it's constantly interesting and and refreshing. And um, yeah, but it's and it's fast, which I really love. I really miss those fast, um, fast first person shooters.
4: Mm.
0: And they're kind of making a comeback, you know.
3: Like, uh, oh yeah. yeah i'm loving these build engine style shooters yeah. that are coming out now it's just brilliant
0: i mean it's 2001 again halo infinite is the most popular thing <laughs> oh, eric's shaking his head being like oh baby
2: I, I i may have already put about 40 hours into halo infinite no way
0: really <laughs> yeah wow good. Eh? everybody loves it i don't it's real get good. it i don't like halo <laughs> besides halo what are you playing
2: eric Oh, besides Halo. okay um (laughs) so this week i i have been plugging away at ruin king still the league of legends rpg and i feel that one is is good i'm kind of waiting for it to really show its full hand i'm about like maybe a third of the way through it and i like some of the story beats uh but i'm still like waiting for the big payoff for it but the one i wanted to talk about on here uh so danganronpa decadence came out this last week and that's basically a collection of the first three Danganronpa games, which are adventure, visual novel style, murder mysteries. Uh, If You've never heard of them. Basically, you're an ultimate student, a young prodigy who ends up in a high school and an evil robot bear says that you're all trapped there. And the only way out is you have to kill one of your fellow students and get away with it. And after a death has occurred, there's a trial. And if the other students can prove that you are the one who killed them, uh you you know you get punished you get killed but if you get away with the murder everybody else gets punished and you get to walk uh and so it's a very dark (laughs) 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 it's it's a dark game uh and you you, to be clear you are not doing the murder you're solving the murders throughout all of it it's a very story-driven game uh really easy to draw comparisons to phoenix right um right but it's an absolutely amazing series. Uh, 1, 2, and V3 are all 100% worth playing if you have ever enjoyed detective games, mystery games, uh, any sort of social sim elements like from Persona or, or dating sims, because there's a lot of that in there. Uh, it's, they're wonderful games. I can't recommend them highly enough. The thing I've been playing is the fourth game in the collection called <laughs> Danganronpa S which is an expansion of a side game board game they put in V3. Uh, that is a tabletop RPG of sorts that is just infused with gotcha mechanics and, uh, like weird auto badly type things where you're kind of moving around on a Mario party style board as one of the characters from the various different games and you're leveling up and you're getting stronger and you do all these random encounters and battles. And the idea is you're supposed to build these cards and their cards because you get them from gotcha poles. Um, and eventually you will build a party that you can then climb a tower with. And it's it's the whole goal of it is fan service because it's the idea of all these different games take place in different occurrences, different timelines, obviously not timelines, but like different points in time. Um and because of murder, <laughs> they, these characters murder. don't always have the opportunity to interact. So it is very fan servicey in that it's like, hey, see these students hang out with each other and interact. It's like if you had like the Persona Q games where you had the opportunity for the cast of all the different Persona games to hang out and talk with each other and joke around and stuff. It's that same appeal. But especially if you've played V3, which is a game that is very... Um, it's an indictment on monetiz- monetization of franchises and like the idea of cinematic universes and franchising as a whole. It it like openly rebels against that stuff in ways that are like really profound and interesting. And then obviously all the creators, Kadaka and all them leave to go do other things. They're working on other games and Spike Chunsoft comes out with this board game that's like, hey, what if we put monetized gacha polls into the fan service game about all your favorite Danganronpa characters. And I was sitting there talking to my Normandy FM co-host, Ken, who's who's also a big Danganronpa fan. And we were both like, this is exactly what that last game was so concerned about and they're just <laughs> doing it. Well, <laughs> like it happened. Ju- it was a yeah. warning and it happened. Uh, like here, there's a big blinking sign that was like this, you know, don't turn things into monetized franchises where the whole appeal is just consuming more content and not asking questions and just being glad that more content is coming down the pipe. And then those folks leave to go do other stuff, which, you know, that how that stuff has turned out as another bag entirely, but in comes the spike tune soft pipe of here comes content <laughs> and streaming out.
0: What well, yeah. A of lack of self-awareness.
2: Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I hate myself cause I've been still playing this game because, uh, the, the folks who can see me on the webcam right now can see that I've got, uh, this weekend's CEO fighting game tournament on the TV behind me. And it's a really good game to just, put something else on and barely pay attention to as you're watching something on the screen. And so I'm really, this is half an indictment of Ramba S as not really being anything more than fan service that doesn't understand what made the series so good in the first place. And also an indictment of myself for just eating it up. Yeah. <laughs> and, but and also I
0: hate me. <laughs> yeah. So it's a
2: little <laughs> self-loathing here this week. Uh, but if you that all said, uh, we were talking in the Discord earlier. Uh, some of the patrons were talking about visual novels and stuff. And I cannot recommend enough if you've not played the Danganronpa games. Like, all three of them are on Switch now. I've heard varying takes on the port quality. I've not had time to assess them myself. I've mostly been playing S. But uh, those games are brilliant. You should play them. They're they're freaking incredible.
0: Nadia, you talked a little bit earlier. But I
1: assume that Endwalker is just your life right now. Pretty much, there. I'm not going to talk too much about it because you don't want any spoilers. You Should but check out
0: Charlene Dropouts. We're going to review it.
1: Mm-hmm. We, we're going to be reviewing. Char- we're going to review it on the next Charlene Dropouts. But for now, I'm just kind of trying to get through the storyline, being selective about the quests that I take so that I can get through the storyline before someone spoils it all over me for on Twitter. So <laughs> I, I'm hard at work. The cues. I just kind of put up the queue and I wait and I go make dinner or whatever and come back and uh, I can play for a couple hours without an interruption. Are you into it so far? Oh yeah, I like it very much. I haven't done, I think I'm coming up on the first major like dungeon. So Mm. that's going to be a test. Although I did play that particular dungeon in the hands-on for um, Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker. So I know it's coming and it ain't pretty.
0: Well, speaking of being on our, back on our bullshit, I suppose, I've been playing a lot of Persona 5. You should go check out our Pantheon episode. I'm still not out of the casino, but I'm making progress and i've definitely got whims of fate stuck in my head forever now <laughs> such a great mm-hmm. song but great song they just keep playing head. it over and over and over again through that multi-hour
1: dungeon mm-hmm. yep you're going you're going to know those lyrics by the end
0: one thing we didn't really talk about was a catchy and i i don't know if a catchy is controversial or not it sounds like people aren't a big a catchy fans it's
1: i know that in a Akechi boy wonder kind of way got a lot of changes to him in royal, in royal and people yeah. appreciate those changes but i'm not privy to them and they're probably spoilerish anyway but I, I will say he did get a glow up in royal
2: yeah i will say that like i've not played royal i'm just aware of everything that happens in royal and obviously i've played all of persona 5 uh a you don't know yet why Akechi is a controversial character let's say yeah, um yeah. but also uh i think Akechi is in the original game was a big missed opportunity yeah. that I would have loved to have seen more of. And then Royal gives you the opportunity to see more of that character in a way that's really interesting. And it's kind of what makes Royal work so well outside of the main plot, which is also very, very good. So um, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear what the takeaways are because you're playing through Royal, right? For your first time. No, I'm
0: playing through uh, no, the, the doing, original Persona 5.
2: Some- oh, you're playing, base playing Persona 5. I'm playing through Royal gradually. Okay. The Royal stuff is worth looking into once you finish the base game. Then I wouldn't encourage you to play another 80 hours of an RPG to see it. But uh, the Akechi stuff is definitely very interesting.
0: All right. It is time now to wrap up the mailbag question. This one is from Zoo Batman, And they want to know what game series would you like to write for if given the chance? And what would you write? And the answer for me is none of the above because writing for video games is frankly a miserable task that is just a lot of, it's very workmanlike, I think, in terms of developing these quests, developing these dialogue choices and whatnot. But I'll just throw out Mass Effect. That'd be a fun one to write. Just because Mm -hmm. good old-fashioned space opera, being able to take that in different directions, you know, and I would just do what Mass Effect does and just lift from some of my favorite sci-fi and make quests out of it <laughs> how about you eric
2: i mean i know the most folks would think i would go mass effect here but uh you know don't don't write what you love <laughs> keep some keep some balls up uh so i don't I'd probably write
0: what you love interesting take okay
2: oh yeah i've i mean i've probably given the speech before about like you know we work in video games and there's an element of yourself that you have to like make peace at some point that the thing you enjoy a lot is also the thing you do for work. And so a lot of the things I enjoy as much as video games, I go out of my way to not make work and mm. to keep them not work because that's how you keep your sanity in this work life balance. Sanity but, check. Um I think in terms of stuff I'd like to write for, honestly, uh the League of Legends universe is up there or the Dota universe because as like mobos that have such undefined characteristics there's just so much possibility space to work in uh and if not that i don't know i'd like to do something really weird like write a visual novel about the cast of Tekken or something like that you know <laughs> like
1: i'd read that i'd play that
2: give give me something where i can just go really wild with the interpretations of the characters and them doing things that they don't normally get up to and all that because yeah, it would be fun to kind of work on a Mass Effect RPG, but I've played a Mass Effect RPG and I'd be constantly worried about whether I'm making as good of a Mass Effect RPG, whereas like... Did you I not can... play the fourth one? You don't need to worry. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I play... Andromeda's got s- some good stuff. <laughs> He's an Andromeda compli- defender. I'm not a defender. I'm just saying it deserves a second chance. <laughs> it had that's, some ideas.
0: That's 10 about the defending,
2: man. Uh, but yeah, I I'd love to, I'd love to just work in a space where I could do something, you know, a Tekken visual novel or like a dating sim set in like, I don't know. What's the weirdest place you could set a dating sim. Monster Hunter. Yeah. Oh, Monster Hunter one where you, you date the monsters. And so you are a monster hunter, but a hunter of hearts. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, like get to mess around in the space a little bit, uh, in the way that like Cadence of Hyrule did and stuff like that. That was so, a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. How
3: about you, John? I would I would love to write um a longest journey game. Mm. Um I go, I came pretty close actually at one point oh, nice. in oh. between careers. Um but uh yeah, if, if uh Ragnar ever got around to writing the longest journey home, I would I would love to write for April Ryan. One of my favorite video game characters of all time. I just love to write. I love to write in that universe, and and I have all sorts of ideas for it. <laughs> so i was mm. like, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the, the, that phone call, and I'll be writing that.
0: It's funny. All of my game pitches tend to not necessarily involve writing. Like the other day, I pitched Star Fox Adventures two, but it's Breath of the Wild instead of an Ocarina Time uh, reskin. Or like the game that I've always wanted to make is basically Stardew Valley on a starship. Which I think could be really fun because you would have a lot of interesting crew members that you could then date, which is uh, the power dynamics there are a little bit questionable, but whatever, (laughs) it's it's a video game, I don't care. But uh, so I'm thinking more in terms of the actual mechanics than I am in terms of the story, but I think that's par for course for uh, for me. Uh, Nadia, what's your answer?
1: Uh, not an RPG. I would actually love to write for whatever Capcom has coming up for Mega Man X or the Mega Man universe in general. It's your destiny to write a Mega Man game. It I think really it is. is. <laughs> I think I can't die until it happens. <laughs> Basically, Mega Man, Mega Man X, those series have uh, very, like, kind of, like, little wisps of lore. There's nothing in there that's nearly as deep and as involved as an RPG, but there's what is there is fun to work with. And Capcom just kind of took what they had throughout the life of the X series and and threw it everywhere, just kind of threw it on the wall, scattered it, made complete nonsense out of what could be a very simple, very basic, but very compelling story about man versus machine. It's, it's a cool topic. It's right there. Like you can't screw it up unless you try really hard and they did that. So I'd like to go back to square one, just, you know, help untangle the mess. I think I'd have a lot of fun with it. And I like, I like working with less materials versus working with more materials, mm. so I think I'd be a good fit for that. If uh, please call me Calcom. I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll do it. Just try me. Can I, have, can I have
3: another go? I just thought of something else. All I right, really go ahead, John. Write. Go ahead. Did you ever play uh, Star Trek 25th anniversary? On oh Josh
0: my Roberts?
3: God, John. <laughs> you I said the magic care. words. <laughs> I don't even care much about I hate, you know, the original series. Awful, horrible, misogynistic trash. But those games were great. And can you imagine how much fun it'd be, right? To write episodic point and clicks. That would be so much fun. Secret,
0: bring back Secret of Vulcan
3: Fury. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. They were so. Uh... Yes. I replayed games. them recently. They're still they, great. Uh, they oh really gosh. hold up.
0: Oh, my. Play Judgment Rights. Uh, it's phenomenal. Like that, that well, secretly one of the best point and click adventure games, but nobody remembers it because it came out in the mid, early 90s. Oh, John, see, this is validated bringing you on the show all by itself. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much to Zoo Batman for sending in that mailbag question. If you want to send in another mailbag question, send it to. Well, twitter.com slash the underscore catbot, or drop it in the mailbag channel in the discord, or cat at bloodgodpod.com. Shout out to the CRPG book by Felipe Pepe. Uh, I did a lot of reading on that ahead of this episode. It's a phenomenal resource for CRPGs in the 80s, 90s, and today. So if you can get, go get a hold of that, it's a, it's a beautiful coffee table book. Thanks so much for that. John, you're our special guest. Please plug some things.
3: Well, I, I'll plug Berry Treasure, which is berry-treasure.org. Um, and then it's that on Patreon. Um, and yeah, because I really love just, I, I really love writing about stuff that everyone's ignoring because there's amazing games. And if you, you know, it, just it's go nice. have a look at it. It's two years old now and there's a lot of games on there that are mm-hmm. really cool. So mm-hmm. go find them. Yeah, that's what I want to plug.
0: Thanks very much, John, and thank you so much for being on the show to help us out with the PC RPG quest. We'll have to have you on again really soon. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catpod Nadia is at Nadia Oxford and Eric is at CMOOSI S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. Go and check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. Your generous contributions, keep the site running, and give you access to a whole mess of exclusive content. Most recently, Being our Persona 5 Pantheon episode, which was just a delight to record. We had an amazing time. We'll be back next week, as always, to talk more about RPGs, but until then, for Nadia, Eric, John, and myself, thanks so much for listening, and happy adventuring.